Welcome to the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. Enter freely and of your own free will. I am your humble host, Terence Taylor, one very much at home with the children of the night. Stay close as my muse, the medieval demon Gubala, guides us down into beautiful darkness. In this episode, listen to 10,000 Crawling Children, written by R.A. Busby and narrated by Justine Ayer. But first, a word from our sponsors. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. It's time to descend the shadowy stairs once more for a good long look behind the curtain of the everyday to see what lurks beyond. Have we got a nightmare for you? 10,000 Crawling Children by R.A. Busby Pregnancy is an infestation, a hidden invasion. An invisible operative sneaks inside you, planting a package of foreign genetic material and forcing you to replicate it trillions of times. Soon, your hostage cell floats down your fallopian tube to the womb to feed on the bloodbed of your uterine lining like a vicious little tick. If it plants itself in the tube, the cell will kill you as surely as it killed my mother. Like my mother, if I get pregnant, I might be among the 23.8 people in 100,000 who die. If I were black, my risk would be twice that. If I were over 40, almost eight. There is an 85% chance my vagina will split. A 6% chance I'll suffer a fourth-degree perennial tear. That's when your vag rips open to your asshole. The more you know. You could be invaded right now. You can't see it. Trust me, I've tried. I never wanted to be pregnant. Now I can't escape it, not even in my dreams, especially there. You see, the things are inside me. Ever since my divorce, I've worked for Right Stuff, a content creation company. I pick an article topic, examine the SEO-friendly terms the client wants, and string them together in a blog post that sounds as if an actual person wrote it. If you've ever Googled ball pythons, gear shift knobs, or 10 reasons you should worry about mesothelioma, you might have read my work. The pay's not bad. In an average day, I can typically crank out between $15 and $30 an hour because I type fast, but still, it's not a king's ransom, and as with all gig work, it's not predictable. Mostly, my bills get paid from renting out the property my father left, a grudging reminder of his credo that a woman's place was in the kitchen. No, the real money is in direct orders. When a client asks specifically for my services, which is how I became a ghostwriter for Biddy Bugs, ironically enough, a mommy blog. My only request was to write only child-rearing articles like diapers, cloth, or disposable. But pregnancy topics? Hard fucking no. You may wonder if the divorce was Alan's fault, but it wasn't. Alan was decent and thoughtful, a bouncy, Labradorish person, not a guy who thought foreplay was grabbing you on the ass and saying, hey, we have 20 minutes. For the record, that was my boyfriend before Alan. The issue was that Alan wanted children. We met in college when Alan hired me to write his Humanities 250B paper. 
From there, we struck up a friendship, a relationship, and finally a Vegas wedding with a tacos and beer reception and his sister Livy as maid of honor. I love Livy. To be honest, she's why I stayed with Alan as long as I did. Anyway, you'd think these low-key nuptials would have assured Alan's parents I wasn't a gold digger, but no. Whenever Alan's mother visited, I imagined an infinite loop from gentlemen prefer blondes started up in her head. I think it's a scene where Lorelai meets her wealthy fiancé's uptight father. The dad confronts her with, Do you expect me to believe you don't want to marry my son for his money? And Lorelai responds, Of course not. I want to marry him for your money. After we divorced, Alan's mother probably bit her nails for the next nine months, certain I'd turn up pregnant. Trust me, she had nothing to worry about. Before getting married, Alan and I had discussed kids, but I told him, probably not. Then seeing his face fall, I added, let's maybe see in five years. He took this as a yes. Spoiler, it wasn't. Even before the marriage, I'd been nervous about pregnancy, about the whole concept. It grosses me out, to be honest, especially the swelling. Toward the end, every pregnant woman looks like she's carrying a bomb filled with baby. I'm not sure when that anxiety started. Scratch that. I remember exactly when. On a fourth grade field trip, I sat next to the other unpopular girl, Leah W., and at some point she handed me a stolen library book called 500 Fucked Up Facts. Passing it around had been Leah's big strategy to move up the popularity scale, and I'll have to give it to her. It was kind of working. When I took it, the book fell open to fucked up fact number 42, the youngest person to give birth. The girl was five. There was a picture. Then Leah explained how it must have happened. Before then, I thought I had only two lower holes, my butthole and the tiny one for pee. No, said Leah. There was a middle hole. Then she explained what went in there and what came out, that this could be done to any girl, to me. Spoiler alert, I became paranoid about pregnancy. I learned the hard way that I couldn't take the pill, so I was adamant that all my male partners wore condoms I provided. Only during my period did I feel safe, and not always then. What if it wasn't a period but implantation bleeding? Honestly, it was maddening not being able to look inside and see. I'd test myself again and again, standing in the morning sunlight with my latest pee stick, trying to spot a line. Until I heard you could get cheap tests at the dollar store, I was spending over 50 bucks a month for the early response kind that can detect as little as 6.5 MIU ML of HCG. You know, just in case. Still, the instant my period dried up, the nightmares began again. I jerk awake, sweat streaming down my back, and grab my tits, my pelvis, my abdomen, certain I felt movement. Something in me, something not me. Ultimately, I had to admit I hated things inside me. I detest needles, swabs, dildos, butt plugs, thermometers, fingers, my own toothbrush. I wanted nothing in there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Sorry. Give me a second. In any case, Alan really tried. Before the divorce, he suggested a visit to a therapist, a professional who could provide non-judgmental feedback about things. Such as, I demanded. The nightmares. Alan waited a moment. I can't sleep in the same room anymore, Anna. When you wake up all panicked, it scares me. You scare me. I scare you? Alan held up his hands. Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. It's just that you might need treatment, a few tests. As you can imagine, the rest of the conversation with Alan did not go well. Prom, client 835-493-2874. Two, team member 2039478, re-blog. Hey, let me know if you're interested in a 10,000-word article on pregnancy issues. We realize it's a rush, but we're offering a substantial perk for early completion. Please respond by pressing accept or decline below. Thanks. Client 835-493-2874. I pressed accept.
What can I say? I needed the money. In the divorce, I'd been adamant. No alimony. Even so, Alan sent me a birthday card that year. Tucked inside was a generous personal check with a note. Buy yourself a nice present, Anna. Best wishes, Alan. Still, no money lasts forever. If I accepted the article, I'd get a payout and bonus, and future orders. That meant steady income, the gig job equivalent of finding a magic unicorn that crapped pure perfume rainbows. I thought, okay, okay, how bad could it be? It was 10,000 words on contraception. Sweet. The funny thing was, I could almost write the whole article without doing extra research. It wasn't until I'd gotten near the end of the SEO list that I saw a method I'd never heard of. Twenty minutes after hitting submit, I was booking a consult with the first available OBGYN on my plan. So, he said, sliding his fingers into me. What brings you here today? Gritting my teeth, I focused on the clinic ceiling. The light in the room was dingy, the examination bed paper already wrinkled. I thought we could discuss birth control, I answered. In response, he pressed my cervix harder. Near jars of cotton balls and swabs, the assistant stood, looking clearly bored. The doctor shot her a look. Chanel, when was her last pap? He asked, listening as she dutifully read it off the chart. So, two years ago. When he turned back, his expression was disapproving. Yes, we can certainly go over birth control, he said, taking his fingers away. Are you sexually active? When I shook my head, he looked skeptical. Hmm, well, generally condoms work best for a girl your age. Excuse me, I said. The thing is, I already know the method I want. Above the rim of his glasses, his silvery eyebrows rose. Oh, please, he replied, waving a hand. Do tell. I cleared my throat. I want a bilateral salpingectomy. At this, he seemed surprised. The procedure isn't as widely known as it should be, so if you've never heard of it, here's a free PSA. In a bilateral salpingectomy, your tubes aren't just cut, they're completely removed. You've stuck that uterus on a desert island, and with both tubes gone, the chances you'll die from an ectopic pregnancy drop to nearly zero. No little mom bombs for you. Hearing this, the doctor scribbled some notes on my chart. It was impossible to see them, so I lifted my head, but immediately I wished I hadn't. Above the small steel sink, I spotted movement from some long-legged thing that crept across the ceiling. So, someone's been on Google, haven't they? When I didn't answer, he gave a tight smile. Yes, well, I'm going to book you an appointment with a consultant. A consultant? I mean, I thought this was the consultation. I gestured to my half-open paper gown. He patted my knee, frowning when I moved it. Yes, he said. I think several appointments would be best. I envisioned endless hours on hold, multiple co-pays, Uber bills, client articles composed on my phone in the waiting room. I mean, is that necessary? Over his head, something insectoid shimmied inside the fluorescent light. One thin brown leg eased from a hole, gently fingered the ceiling tile, then retreated. You're quite young for that procedure, the doctor remarked. You need to consider a non-permanent method. Even a tubal with clips would be better. But I don't want... Well, we can't always have what we want, he said. Please lie down. Chanel, will you prep the tray? For a moment, I met his assistant's eyes, but below her mask, her expression was unreadable. But tubals are... I mean, they're not the current standard for elective steriliz... Now it was his turn. Excuse me. He looked at the chart from my name. Anna. Anna, which of us has a degree in medicine? I caught Chanel's glance again. She ducked her head, staring at the instrument tray before scooping out a gelatinous blob from a small vial. I don't want children, I shifted awkwardly. Or to worry about getting pregnant, ever. The doctor noted this. But you realize, Anna, that we shouldn't make emotional decisions. Emotional? Let me assure you that your fear is natural, Anna, but so is giving birth. You'll see. 
Quietly, Chanel wheeled the tray to the bedside. I noticed in the intake paperwork that you are divorced, he asked. For a moment, I thought he might insist Alan sign off on this. Yes, the divorce went through a while ago, I said, trying to sound firm. It's finalized. He nodded. See, right there's what I'm talking about, your divorce. It suggests, hmm, some personal difficulty making a lifelong commitment, let's say. I stared at him. Even in my thoughts, I was tongue-tied. Let me put it this way. Next week, you might meet a wonderful man, right? After that operation, you can't say, oopsie, I want a do-over. But isn't that really my concern? Deftly, he pulled on fresh gloves. Not really. It isn't just your concern. Feet in the stirrups, please. Good girl. Now, are you sensitive to cervical pain? Yes, but what is this? He nodded to Chanel. Sorry, Chanel murmured, then slipped the needle into my vein. I hadn't seen that coming. No examination would be complete without the pappy, hmm? He picked up an instrument. You'll feel the speculum, then a slight pinch. When he slid it in me, the instrument was metal cold. Reaching for a swab, he dabbed it in that mystery blob. Despite the injection, I sensed the tip poking at the dimpled center of my cervix. God, it felt like being rasped out with a mascara wand. The sound from the overhead lights grew from a mild buzz to a horrid insectile clittering. With a satisfied nod, the doctor peered up, framed by my thighs. So, that's done. Remember, Anna, pregnancy isn't all about you. It's about two other people besides you. At most, you're only one-third of the equation. Don't you realize that? I found I could not really reply. No clue how I got home. On my phone the next day, I saw I'd scheduled a follow-up and gotten an Uber. I hope I tipped. My phone buzzed. Hey, girl, the text read. It was Livy. Of all Alan's family members, I liked Livy best. She could pick up a conversation from weeks ago, like pressing play on a moment she'd paused, and low-key flirted with everyone. Men, women, random pets, various trees. Perhaps it's actual flirtation. I've always been shitty at figuring that out. Once, when we were quarantined watching a movie over Zoom, I joked I should have married her instead of Alan, and from my screen, Livy gave me this exaggerated up-and-down ogle and said, Oh, yeah, might be kinky, but who gives a shit? Then she reached for her microwave popcorn, and we settled down to watch Legally Blonde. Rolling over in bed, I tried to focus. Hey, I typed back. Fuck capitals. Three dots appeared, tapping like impatient fingers. I'm about 15 minutes away. I wanted to give you time to pick up your undies. I sat up. The room spun, and my gut turned a slow roll. Fifteen men from what? From your house? I thought you were coming Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Oh, my God. Livy's face fell. Are you okay? I realized I should have called it off. In 15 minutes, I'd done what I could. Picked up my undies, puked reheated coffee, washed the hair I'd puked on. Not COVID, I swear. Just food poisoning. I waved her in. Whatever you do, don't eat that bagged salad. Well, for God's sake, Livy embraced me. Go sit down, I gotcha. Tucking her dark hair into a bun, she ventured to the kitchen, and while I eased back onto the couch, Livy made a cup of ginger tea and threw away the salad. So, she said, I'm guessing lunch is off. Ugh, just the word lunch sounds nauseating. Livy put a teacup in my hands, and I took a careful sip. Okay, she said. When did you start feeling sick? I counted back. Maybe Monday? She frowned. Kinda long for food poisoning. Tell me all about it. I did. For the past few days, I hadn't been able to string together thoughts. And there had been nightmares. I could feel their sticky mental residue, vague memories of tangled hairs and a dull metallic clanking. Nightmares, huh? I remember Alan mentioning those. Livy chuckled. Don't worry. He didn't tell me super private stuff like how you banged and all. I just remembered the nightmare thing. 
Well, they've gotten worse since... Since what? I told her, the condescending doctor, his refusal to do the operation, the spiders, the shot, the painful pap. Hell, I finally concluded. I seriously wonder whether I'm having a psychological reaction or whatever. Pussy traumatic stress disorder? Basically, Livy frowned. Could you get a second opinion from a non-asshole? I'm still working that out, I sighed. I have a follow-up in a week, so maybe I can talk him into an IUD. Unfortunately, that guy knows the only provider in town accepting new patients. Fuck this town, Livy snorted. Hell, fuck this state. Tell you what, Anna, let me make some calls. She was so good at this. Advocacy, networking. For almost a decade, she'd been a support counselor at a rape crisis center, the kind of counselor who meets you in the ER and stays with you the whole time. Ever since the laws had changed, she'd rarely had an evening off. Sure, I sank back into the couch. Might as well, right? Hell yeah. Besides, I'll be glad to drive. Merely text me time and place, and I am there, baby. Bam, faster than a fucking Uber. That reminded me. By the way, I don't even remember getting home, you know. I got an Uber notification, but the whole trip's a big blank. Damn, Livy snorted. Sounds like my college freshman year. All sorts of moments I can't recall. Again, she fell silent. Yeah, too many nights pieced together from fragments, you know? Yeah, I did know. I thought many women did. I don't like that, Livy said at last. No, I don't like that at all. Livy stayed two days until I'd recovered. While she ducked out to feed her cats, I managed to catch up on writing client orders, diaper dilemmas, me time for mommies. Still, I felt so drained. I didn't really leave the couch except to pee. I'd wake up headachy and nauseated, fit only for watching Netflix between bouts of stirring, haunted sleep. God damn it, I told Livy when she came back. It has to be the fucking virus. I'd retrieved an N95 from my jacket and put it on. From my hall closet, Livy dug out my stash of COVID tests, but they came back negative. Plus, I had no fever, no cough, and to judge by my stanky armpits, there was nothing wrong with my nose. Just exhaustion, nausea, and no period. The old dream came again the night she left. It's not a dream, exactly. More like a vivid memory playing at 3 a.m. in terrible detail. The textures, the tastes, the smells, the legs. I'm back in fourth grade, lying in my Walmart sleeping bag in the bunk I shared with Leah. As befitted her rising status at sleepaway camp, she'd claimed the top. For hours, I writhed around in the dark, painfully aware that I needed to pee, and digging into myself with the heel of my hand wasn't helping. Bottom line, I had to visit the privy. On the camp tour, the counselors had shown us the bunks, dining hall, fire pit, and last, the privies. At the predictable choruses of ooh and gross from the campers, they rolled their eyes, knowing that however pretty or privileged these girls were, they'd eventually be sitting and shitting into that same foul hole. And in fact, only admitting I was minutes from pissing my bunk got me moving. If that happened, I'd basically have to light myself on fire to eradicate the shame, and even then, I would forever be the girl that pissed her bunk and lit herself on fire. Fumbling with the flashlight, I tiptoed downhill. Our first job as campers had been to whitewash the stones along this path, and now I understood the wisdom. In my beam, they practically glowed. The stench hit me immediately, sour and rank. It was a tangy stink that stayed in your hair, and inside, someone had already fouled the toilet ring with explosive poop. Sighing, I put the light down and braced my calves against the bench seat. I couldn't bring myself to put my butt on. Dangling my ass over the hole, I prayed I was leaning back enough not to piss into the underwear I'd lowered past my knees. The undies were brand new, covered with tiny blue flowers and a matching bow in the front, and I didn't want to mess them up. The relief was exquisite. From a wooden peg on the wall hung a limp roll of toilet paper. 
Reaching for it, I kicked the light over and watched the beam swing wildly. Just then, I heard the spotty sounds of raindrops on the corrugated roof, a kind of thrumming, and when I found the flashlight, I shone it at the ceiling overhead. The sound was coming from there. At first, I didn't understand. Above me hung an enormous bundle of hair, thick, dark, and filamentous, a wiry brown tangle like the overgrown thatch I'd seen between the thighs of a woman undressing in the YMCA locker room last summer. The patch on the ceiling was shot through with round shapes I saw, like droplets of cream on a beard, little tiny dots. And then the dots began to move, to tap, to bounce, to crawl, to jitter, jitter, jitter in a moving carpet across the walls and down toward me. A thrumming filled the privy as a clump of dots and hair shivered and quivered as I realized, no, no, that's not hair, not hair. They are, they are tapping their bodies on the ceiling. That's the sound. It's not rain. And that is not hair. No, no, they are, they are, they are spiders. Screaming, I clawed between my legs, frantic to yank up my underwear. I lost my balance and thrashed against the walls, the flashlight still lighting that horrible brown undulation. I could not find the door. My hands flailed wildly, hitting anything in me. Hair, hair, thatch of women's hair, pubes, spiders. And beating at the privy walls in a desperate animal attempt to flee the writhing, drumming swarm of spiders by my head. And then the spider cloud fell on me. After that, I don't remember much. I suppose they called my mother. I could not stop screaming, even after the camp director threw ice water in my face. Mom drove up a twisting mountain road at two in the morning to get me and drove us back in pinch-lipped silence as I sobbed. Everyone assumed I'd been hysterical because the spiders had gotten into my hair. This was partly true. When that massive tangled cloud had fallen, the spiders had scampered through my scalp, in my ears, between my lips. I'd bitten down on a mouth of them that tasted of rancid cornflakes. No matter how hard I scrubbed my tongue, the flavor lingered on. All through that eternal car ride home, I sat in the back, my mother furious at wasting summer camp money on me. And though neither of us knew it, she would be dead in four days from the thing growing inside her. But that was not the reason. No, I'd been screaming because when the spiders fell on me, my pants had been stuck around my knees. They'd fallen in my underwear. I had felt them down there. And now I understood something horrible. They could crawl right up inside that center hole. By the time the police siren chirped, Livy and I had been on the road for hours. Shit, she groaned, staring into the rearview mirror. Last night, I'd broken down and told her about the symptoms, the morning nausea, the breast pain, the headaches, my swollen belly. It's okay, it's okay, she said when I started crying. All right, you haven't gone to that doctor again, have you? I shook my head. God, no, I have a follow-up in a week, and if he thinks I'm... Well, he'd have to report it. Yep, and no clinics, no women's centers or whatever. Only you. Okay, you took some tests. Where'd you get them? I thought a second. The dollar store. You paid cash? Livy's pen scratched. Hell yeah. We all knew the drill. Don't buy pea sticks with a card. Don't buy more than two. Wear a mask and a plain ass hoodie. Park on another street. No purse and always pay cash. Good, she nodded. Give me a couple hours. As it turned out, Livy didn't take me to a doctor. Heading into a dark clinic parking lot far past closing time, I saw a woman framed in a doorway, a solid figure in medical scrubs patterned with pink and purple cats. Livy turned to me. Sorry, Anna. I realize this isn't what you expected, but, well, it's the best I can do. At least you'll be able to see for yourself what's going on. In the examination room, I sat on a table smelling of anxious dog, and as she and Livy made quiet conversation, the vet squirted lube onto my abdomen. Around her neck, she wore a portable ultrasound, and as I lay still, she moved the wand back and forth, looking sharply at the monitor. What, I said, what is it? 
The vet held up a hand. Sorry, it looked like something for a minute, but no. Craning my neck, I tried to see the screen, the unknown barren moonscape that was me, but really, I shouldn't have. In the middle of what looked like a grainy gray fan, I imagined I saw a gathering of dots, cream-colored dots in a thatch of thick brown hair. I swallowed. This machine, it works on humans? Yep, only difference is the setting. Best that works for humans is ovine. She flicked off the machine. Well, that's it, she said. No detectable evidence. No sack, no rings, no double blebs. You're good. So that was that. During the drive home, Livy stayed silent. It had all been for nothing. Nothing lived in my inner emptiness but dots, 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 space. Turning my face aside, I pulled the hood down so she wouldn't notice me crying. The siren behind us chirped again. Fuck my whole life, muttered Livy, and flipped on the turn signal. When the cop came to her window, we kept silent. Did we know why we'd been pulled over, where we were coming from? Livy kept staring straight ahead, her hands on the wheel at ten and two. Sorry, she kept repeating. We will not be discussing our business. The cop swept the interior with his flashlight on high, and I winced. Hey, he grinned. You seem nervous. Then he peppered us with questions. Had we undergone any medical procedure? Were we concealing medication? Levonorgestrel? Mifepristone? Misoprostol? How about if he brought some dogs? Sorry, Livy said. We do not consent to a vehicular search. Eventually, the cop gave up. Fuck it, he said, and told us to get the hell out. We definitely did. She dropped me a quarter mile from home, knowing it was too risky to drop me any closer. Awkwardly, I tried to thank her. Don't sweat it, she said, her large eyes glazed and exhausted. You're probably late just from stress. I'm glad you got the ultrasound, Anna. I hope it gives you some peace. Get some sleep, okay? But I remembered that dark space inside me. That moment, the vet seemed puzzled by the image on the screen. Possibly because the things in me were very, very small. Too small to see. Even a whole nest of them. From Client 835-493-2874 to Team Member 2039478 Re, Blog Assignment Hey, we were looking for a quick 5,000-word article on issues in pregnancy to include the following topics. 1. Plan C when Plan B fails. 2. Joan Crawford was right, no wire hangers. 3. Five unexpected uses for knitting needles. We realize it's a bit of a rush, but we're offering a substantial perk for early completion. Please let me know by pressing accept or decline below. Thanks. Client 835-493-2874. For the next week, I stayed home and dedicated my days to shotgunning right stuff orders, typing until the tendons and my wrists swelled. Indoor trampoline parks, car accident liability, best torque wrenches of 2025. Anything was better than thinking about Livy, the cop, the stack of P-tests stinking up my bathroom wastebasket, my nausea, my swelling. Five best restroom deodorizers, seven telltale depression indicators. Livy had probably gotten on some police shit list, I thought. I doubted she'd want to roll the dice on driving me anywhere again. And where would she take me? A different clinic? Perhaps the pound? Could I get spayed? I let out a choking sound that might have been a laugh but wasn't. Jesus, what options were left? Do the surgery on myself with a kitchen knife? In the end, that's what made me keep the follow-up with Dr. Asshole. Maybe I could convince him to give me a tubal with clips at least, an IUD. Or as the meme says, why not both? I'm sure you'll be shocked at what happened. Now, he said, do you have any specific concerns about your health today? I carefully curated the information, listing very general symptoms. Fatigue, breast tenderness, a little bloating. This was a grand understatement. I could only wear sweats when the waistband rode on my pubic bone like 90s jeans. Hmm, he said. 
Let's peek, shall we? Chanel, bring me the gloves, please. Obediently, she held the box, and as she did, our eyes met, and I caught something there I couldn't explain. Hissing as he dug his fingers into me, I gripped the bed. It's okay, said Chanel quietly, and held my hand. The doctor pressed down, one hand on my abdomen, the other inside, like he was trying to make his fingers meet in the middle. Cervix feels normal on palpitation, he muttered. Ovaries palpable, no sign of vulvar pathology. Chanel, are you getting this? Reluctantly, she let go and took up the clipboard, but before she did, she looked at me again. Yes, well, I think we'll stay where we are with the birth control for now, Anna, the doctor said, peeling off his gloves. But, I mean, it's not a we issue. I'm not comfortable with using only condoms, especially... He clicked his pen and made a note on his chart, not really listening. Yes, he said absently. Especially if I'm... I paused. Assaulted. Raped. What do you want me to do? Whip out a Trojan and ask nicely? The doctor fetched a long sigh. Let's avoid being dramatic. I understand you're concerned, so my best advice is to avoid those situations and you'll be fine. Making another note, he said. We're done here for now. Please see the receptionist before you leave. Then he patted me on the knee again. As he left, the door hissed on its hydraulic hinge, and all I could do was stare at the tile and try not to cry. He wouldn't give me one either. In the corner, Chanel was sweeping the countertop clean of used gloves and lube, and when it came, her voice was so quiet it seemed part of my own thoughts. Damn near begged him for a hysterectomy after my son, she said. Thought I'd have some leverage because I work here, and he still said no. Since then, I guess I've heard his little speech a hundred times. The truth is that I have two kids. I didn't want that second one. The guy who raped me didn't give a shit. I pushed myself up, my ass hanging from my loose gown. I'm so sorry, I said. You know I am. Yeah, she said. I do. That's why I'm even talking to you. But why? You don't get it? Chanel raised a perfect eyebrow. Easy. Cutting your tubes is a one and done. Delivering your babies, that's a growth industry, literally. She walked to the door, opening it to the crowded hallway. Thanks so much, she said clearly, her tone bright and professional and false. Please stop by the receptionist on your way out. Sometime around ugly o'clock in the morning, I shut my laptop. Stumbling into the bathroom, I turned off the lights so I wouldn't have to look at myself. Despite what you may think, I'm not delusional. I understood what all the evidence suggested. The pee tests, the spotting, the doctor's prodding. Even the official ultrasound, if you count being wanded in a vet office with a machine on ovine as official. Most people would have accepted they weren't pregnant and moved on. But I knew. I sensed it in my gut. Something inside there had changed, whether it was visible or not. And that's what seemed so supremely unfair. A cosmic joke. I'd always been so careful. Despite all that, here I was, invaded, occupied. In the end, I just wanted this body to be mine. Was that asking so much? So, the signs all pointed to no. But still, clenching that rubbery skin around my stomach, I wished for the thousandth time that I could pull my flesh apart and scrabble through my uterus like a messy purse. You know, to look for myself. You see, I could feel it move. As I sat on the toilet, the skin of my abdomen undulated and roiled, the flesh over my navel first hot, then sprawling and flaccid. From deep in my pelvis came a tickling, a crawling sensation. And there was one more thing. The tests had all said no, true, but they were screening for a key chemical produced by placenta, HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin. But what if the things inside me simply weren't human? When Livy first came to take care of me, I lied to her by saying I had nightmares. In fact, I'd been having only one. The dream starts with a tickle, a lazy little brush on my thigh. 
I try to scratch, but my hands are bound to the bed with my fourth grade underwear, the pair with the blue-green flowers and the tiny satin bow. Moving my legs, I hear a cold metallic clank, a speculum, naturally, its steel beak poked into my vagina like an inquisitive duck. The blades of the speculum slowly expand, cold metal cranking me wider, my defenseless cervix open to the air. Why anything could crawl up there, anything. The tickling intensifies. On my knee, I sense a tiny tap, a light inquisitive pressure moving one touch at a time, a thin-fingered pianist easing notes into existence. My overgrown pubic hairs twitch with movement. Something skitters by my clitoris. On the bed, I thrash and buck, mad to scratch, to jerk my frenzied fingers toward my crotch, to rake that tickling away even if it brought on blood. And I am so open there. In tiny motions, it tiptoes over the speculum. And then at last I begin to scream, because it's crept inside me, in me, making its inexorable way up and up, crawling and creeping as I scream. And then, then it falls on me. A massive brown cloud coming on me in a clittering mass, a flush of things through my hair between my thighs, all cream-colored dots and tangled limbs, jittering and jumping and skittering in a massive carpet made from thin, intertwining legs that, God, they were crawling over each other, crawling, crawling in a mad, frantic panic to get inside me. And then, oh God, they were filling me, they were crawling inside me, inside me, into my cunt, swelling me, making me huge, so huge. And now my abdomen bubbles and ripples and crawls. And now, oh, oh God, I can feel them in my womb. So many spiders, so many spiders, so many spiders. From Client 835-493-2874 to Team member 2039478, re-blog assignment. Hey, please let me know if you could write a quick listicle-type post on pregnancy issues. Topics should include the following. 1. Mommy Mad Money, selling fetal stem cells online. 2. Keto-friendly placenta recipes. 3. So your uterus flopped out. 4. Massive rectovaginal tearing. Can you ever sit on a bar stool again? Five, take your baby's teeth before they can take yours. We realize it's a bit of a rush, but we're offering a substantial perk for early completion. Please let me know by pressing accept or decline below. Thanks. Client 835-493-2874. Took another test. Stared at the pee stick for the results to show up. One pink line if you're normal two pink lines if you're fucked. The test showed asterisks. They look like tiny spiders. I got a text from Livy today. She wanted to know how I am. Staring at my phone, I started to cry because the thing I wanted most was to hang out and watch some Hallmark Channel rom-com. I'm glad she texted. I'm glad she felt safe. I couldn't have her over, though. The place is a mess, and there are things... For one, getting out of bed requires careful planning. I can almost manage to make it to the bathroom, most of the time. I couldn't let her see me. This was my worst nightmare. Stop it, I said to the empty room. Just fucking look. Viciously, I shoved my shirt open and forced my eyes to see what I'd become. Over the last weeks, my body had altered radically. The nausea had been cataclysmic, tapering off only if I didn't eat, so I didn't eat. Didn't matter. Everything in the middle kept growing, growing, growing anyway. I think it's cannibalized the calcium in my bones. That's what they do, right? Gain a child and lose a tooth, the saying goes. The bones in my face have become sharp and predatory, and the skin above my elbow hugs the humerus. I can circle my bicep with my fingers. Below, my knees stand out like two bulbous leg knots. But oh, the rest. In my life, I'd seen many pregnant women, many pregnant bellies. This was nothing like them. A week ago, I taped a sheet of cardboard to the bathroom mirror to hide my lower half. 
till you got past my armpits. Everything looked normal, but after that, my body exploded. My breasts had blown up to pendulous plods dangling in the exhausted cups of my sports bra. They ached miserably. And below, oh dear God, below, my belly was a heavy, throbbing mass that stretched down past my pubis and thighs, a great yellow-white expanse of pulsing segments, each with its own brown line. Through it all ran a red vein like a garden hose. Did I say I wanted to peek inside myself? Well, I could now. My skin was thin as a blister. You didn't need an ultrasound to watch my babies grow. As I lay there, two segments rippled and bulged as something shoved hard against my skin from inside, and I groaned, spitting long strings of yellow bile into my pillow because there was nowhere else. The bed was foul beyond words. If I wanted to go to the bathroom, I had to tie a bedsheet around my stomach for stability. I'm terrified I'll trip. If I do, my abdomen will explode, and I don't know what might come out of it. In other news, my breasts have started leaking. What trickles out is thick and yellow-green like antifreeze, and when it dries, it leaves corrosive burn marks on the sheets. I'm afraid to touch it. I'm afraid of what can drink it. In the end, I texted Livy and told her I was great. I confessed I was a little tired. My screen flickered briefly with the three gray dots, but then the phone rang. Hey, she said. My thumbs got tired. How have you been? I've turned into a giant bloated maggot, I thought. I'm good, I croaked. How about you? You don't sound good, said Livy. In fact, you sound like shit. Listen, I need to come over anyway. I still have your key. I frowned. My key? Then it hit me. Right, from when I was sick. Seriously, I'm going to be around, so... More tears slipped down to stain the already stained pillow. I scrubbed at my running nose with my sheet. Don't worry, just hold on to the key for a while, I said. Okay, babe, love you. Hey, I can swing by on the weekend if you're up to it. The weekend? That would be fine. Things would be resolved by then, one way or another. Just keep the keys, I told her, knowing this might be the last time we ever spoke. I trust you. I did, and I loved her. And whatever had infiltrated me, infected me. I wanted Livy to be miles away from it, from them. You see, I think they're ready to be born. Within me all the time now, I sense tiny pinprick bites. They have filled me with toxin. Sometimes I sense a needle-like poking at the mouth of my cervix, something determined and investigatory, probing. It is like a little pap smear from the inside. They are trying to get out. I stayed on hold an hour until the clinic receptionist picked up. Was Chanel there? I would like to speak to her, please. When Chanel came on, I begged for a morning appointment, the soonest available, first of the day. When she asked me in that polite public voice what the purpose of my visit was, I explained I had, well, something to discuss with the doctor. It would be best, I said, if there weren't people around when that happened. Chanel was silent a long moment, then she said she had no problem with that. Next morning, I called for a ride to the clinic. I would need extra space, I said, and no, I wouldn't need a ride back. I've chosen a long, loose dress, one that can conceal more than just the horrifying metastasis of my abdomen. My breasts leak thick, greenish fluid almost constantly, and I've had to stuff my sports bra with sanitary napkins. That's bad, but there are other things. Apart from my belly, I've gotten quite shockingly thin. My arms have grown stocky and longer, like my legs, all six of them. The newest ones just sprouted days ago. Thin and reedy, they wrap around my belly at the widest point, as if to protect the things in there, to nurture 10,000 squirming, venomous little beings on the verge of emergence, to cuddle them. It's sweet. When I get to the clinic, I will beg Chanel to duck out for a cup of coffee, drive to that bakery with the good donuts, take a long break, to save herself. I don't have much time, I know that. 
For days, I've sensed a growing imminence, like when the land around you falls silent before the clouds let go with rain. I've kept very still, hoping not to trigger anything by moving. It is like carrying an abdomen of sweaty dynamite. The segments ripple, but they seem as if they are husbanding strength, resting before the final push. And when that push comes, it will come quickly. When the doctor walks into the examination room, I will be ready. I only need to do a little cutting, a little slicing. My father was right after all. A woman's place is in the kitchen. That's where the knives are. But the knife is not for him. It's for me. When the doctor is standing before me, I will make one quick slice across my straining skin. I imagine a pop as I explode in a cloud spray of bright blood, blowing out my uterus and most of the lower half of my body like a blossoming red orchid. My intestines will puddle at my feet, at his feet. He will be covered in me, the blood and chunks of my flesh, my womb. And when it is done, my skin will hang in flaps like a flaccid flesh balloon, and I'll be dead. But not my children, my 10,000 crawling children. And I think they'll be hungry. Welcome back. You've been listening to 10,000 Crawling Children by Ari Busby, narrated by Justine Ayer. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. R.A. Busby is the author of Corporate Body and the Shirley Jackson Award-winning story, Not the Man I Married. She spends her spare time running in the desert with her dog and finding weird things to write about. Justine Eyre is a classically trained actress who has narrated many audiobooks, earning the prestigious Audio Award for Best Narration and numerous Earphones Awards. She has appeared on stage and has had starring roles in four films on the indie circuit. Her television credits include Two and a Half Men and Mad Men. Nightmare is published by Adamant Press, and this podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This episode is copyright 2023 by Adamant Press. Post-production was by Jim Freund. Our music was composed and performed by Jack and Cade. Thanks for listening. This is Terrence Taylor, wishing you all the best from all of us at Nightmare Magazine and sending you back to your reality for now.